Welcome to the Personality Portrait Podcast, where we challenge what we think we know about how our personality works and is shaped. I am psychologist Franco Greco. In each episode, I have a conversation with a guest exploring what has shaped their lives and personality. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Today, I have the great pleasure of speaking to Adam Bronce. Adam is the Director of Business Development for Castle Rock Property. Adam has been at Castle Rock for over 14 years and has overseen the development of all its major projects. I look forward to talking to him through the show. So Adam, tell me about what do you think about your own personality? How would you describe yourself? Today, I would, I would describe myself as driven, ambitious, impatient. Franco is definitely a word that I would, I would describe myself as. Um, and yeah, driven. Have you always been driven, ambitious, and impatient? No, no, no. I think it's probably something that's come along as part of the journey. Once I started to grow up, it had had kids get more involved with the business and you know have a bit more on my shoulders. So that became a bigger part in, in my life. So I've got to achieve things now. Getting close to forty-two, Franco starts to say, "Hang on a minute, mate. You know you're not in your twenties anymore. You're not, your thirties are soon to run out." You better get yourself organised and get things done that you want to get done. So there's this sense of urgency you felt that, you know, when you hit a certain age, like when when did you, when did that come about? Like when you started, when you got married and had kids or what? what? I think it was soon thereafter, to be honest. I think, you know, jumping on the mortgage and you know, there's a few life truths that come out and you go, right, we've, we've got to get ourselves organised here. And I think that was it, having children, getting married. Getting married was the easy part. That was the fun part. Having kids is fantastic, but I think it certainly makes you settle down and get and get your life organised. Yeah. So, what what was Adam before that? He was a bit more easygoing, fun loving is probably a good word. Probably not a huge amount of direction, not overly ambitious, naive. Franco, I would think that, that was me as a younger man. So, was that you for most of your life up to the point? Was it or I think as you know, as going through high school, getting getting a job out of high school was certainly was certainly there. I think. That was me until that turning point of having children made me sort of reassess my life and, and go right. You've got to, <laughs> you've got to get organised here. But certainly more aloof, more happy just to go with the flow, let things happen rather than drive things. Yeah, because there's a part of you that comes up in the personality surveys that you did, where you're very high in um, in extroversion, which is a sort of socially oriented sort of person personality mm-hmm. trait. Where you sort of you know you get a lot of reward, positive reward, being engaged with with people, and the one that sort of stands out for me is excitement seeking and and activity, your high levels of activity, and will that pretty much describe that part of you in a way? It does. You know, it's funny because my wife would say we're going on a holiday, for example, right? And I think, okay, we're going to bring the mountain bike, we're going to bring the kayak, we're going to bring you know whatever, we're going to get a boat, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and every day I'll book something up. Because, yeah, that's how I enjoy myself. And, and she kind of goes, well, can we have maybe one day around the pool? And we go, well, really? You know, do, we, <laughs> do we have to have one day sitting around doing nothing? <laughs> but, yeah, that's the set, like, you know, keeping occupied, doing things and achieving things at the moment is certainly where I'm at. Yeah, and that was you as a kid growing up? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I was more happy just to sit around by the pool, to be honest. Oh, okay, right. I was happy just to let things happen and, and, and go more with the flow. Did that change with your kids, did it? Or that you sort of wanted to get the most out of things? Or I think, mate, turning 30 for me was a bit of a thing. Like it took a bit for me to turn 30. And I think that was probably another turning point where, where I thought, well, I'm no longer 20s. 
in my 30s now and we've got to start doing things not just letting things happen so i know we talked about the kids right so that there seems to be something more substantial about turning 30 for you yeah there was there was it's probably it was letting go of the 20s not so much turning 30 but letting go of 20s and Mm. and knowing in i guess in the back of your mind that you know kids are there and you know the house is coming up next and there's probably a bit more of a life sort of planned out for you in that way but with your 20s you're probably a little bit more free and easy but uh, but i think turning 30 meant you know okay it's time to knuckle down is that something that someone told you about or someone was saying hey adam you need to do something or was it just something that you sort of thought okay hang on no frank i think it's one of those things that are like a limiting belief that you have like it's just it was more of a a thought process no one's ever taught me that it was it was just a thought process i had in the back of my mind is this is the way life's supposed to go that's the way i traveled do you do you miss that adam in the 20s yeah i think so can i say is that your natural state would you say that that's your that's who you really are and the guy we see in the 30s is a guy that is got goals and goal driven that's you know made you a bit more that way no, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I think more of my natural state is being driven and okay. having goals and wanting to achieve them. I think I used the word naive before, and I think that was pretty important in, in the sense that I guess I didn't know any better. You know, now, now that you start to really have a bit more of a deep dive into life, I thought, okay, there's more to get. There's more to, there's more to achieve. There's, you, can, you can get more out of life rather than just letting it slip by. And there's, where does that naivety come from, you think? Uh, life experience. Not that I had a, not that I'm sort of poorly life, uh, have a poor life experience, but, but that was just where I was at that point in time. Like I hadn't experienced anything more. And, and I learned through more so through doing rather than reading or, or watching other people do it. So my learning process was to, to get out there and do it. And the more I do, the more you learn and the more you thought, I thought to myself, well, you know, the way I live life is changing. So this part of just, cause you, you sort of lived a bit of your time in Gippsland, didn't you? Correct, yeah. Yeah. And so then you moved to Melbourne, is that right? Moved to Melbourne when I was 16. Yeah. Turning 17. Yeah. How would you have described yourself as 17? Probably a little disgruntled. I quite liked my life back in Gippsland, liked my friends down there, liked what I was doing. Didn't really want to have to uproot and move to Melbourne. Melbourne was probably a little bit scary. Um, took me a bit to to get used to it, but as soon as I got into the groove of, of living in the city, really enjoyed it really sort of came out of my shell, gave me a new opportunity to look at life a little bit differently and, and have a new, not sort of carry the old personality with me. I guess growing up in the country, probably had a stamp on your back to say, okay, this is who you are and this is what you do. Come to the city and you've got that opportunity to change that perception of yourself into something different and, and you could mould that however you wanted to mould it. Yeah, so that that was more the opportunity, wasn't it, than, mm. than the restriction? But I guess the... The issue of being and back in Gippsland was it more was more of a familiarity of yeah. it, or yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and probably didn't enjoy the change uh, too quickly. And I, and I guess that probably leads back to naivety too, Franco, where I didn't understand change, I didn't know how to deal with it, or how to manage it, and yeah. to me it was different and scary, so I didn't like it. Yeah, sometimes it's hard, isn't it, too, when you're in an environment when you're at like this and you're that age, you know, who do you? Who do you go to to talk about this stuff? You know, did you did you feel like you could talk to someone about that? It's a it's a good question. I th- I think the schools are probably a great place to lean on for children for teenagers in that in that sense. Did I lean on them? Probably not. Not as much as I I could have mm. or should have. Parents, in a way, you could to sort of express your feelings probably a little bit more rawly than than <laughs> than what you would in you know sort yeah. of classroom environment. Yeah. Well, if you're disgruntled, did you, did you tell them that you're disgruntled? Do they know about it? 
Yeah, absolutely. They they yeah. knew about it. They knew about it. <laughs> what, do they, what, do they, what do they do about it? What do they say? Just get it, get over it. Get get on with it. Yeah, well, I mean, like, was I you know perfectly well behaved at a 16, 17 year old? Probably not. Like, well, not at all. There's a few misdemeanors that I got up to at that age. Mm. I guess we can get into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we might leave those there. <laughs> what would you be saying to that? If you sort of reflecting back on that seventeen year old, like, what would you be? Do you feel a sense of of empathy for him? Like, do you understand what he was going through and stuff? Yeah, I, absolutely, I do. And, and what would I say is probably open your mind up and and don't have those limiting beliefs. Get out there and, and be comfortable with change. Yeah. So it's probably in your in your line of work. It, it's always dynamic, isn't it? It's always changing, isn't it? Like yep. it's. Uh, so do you think that this adaptability, this this part of you that sort of accommodates change, is that something that you feel like that's something you've developed over time? Yeah, absolutely. Probably now becomes a joy rather than a burden. Yeah. Something that you look forward to. Something's changing. Something's different. How can we dance around this next issue? What's what's the next problem? How do we solve it? Yeah. It, it has been quite a quite a big change from that side, Franco. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to sort of see how how it develops. Like, like is it something that you just risked? Like, how did you how did you start to realise you actually you're getting better at it? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed okay. the change and sought the change. I guess it came about through through work and and being comfortable to fly to some little town in South Australia, for example, and rock up on someone's door and start having a chat to them. And that just came as part of the work that I was doing at that point in time is being comfortable with being out of my comfort zone. And how do you deal with that? And, and how do you seek enjoyment out? Because it wasn't going to stop. I sought it. When you sorted it out, like, did you talk to someone about that? Like, how, how would oh, you just decide I'm just going to do it? So you didn't learn from your dad or your mom about you know any of that stuff or uh, look I think I had I did decent people skills yeah as a kid anyway but but just adapting those to being comfortable being out of, out of your comfort zone yeah I think you're right actually I think there is something there about what you describe about I got very decent you got very decent sort of people skills which is often comes across as being this extroversion so there's been socially oriented to people I think there is you know that you're friendly and gregarious you know getting you know like being around people but you're also mm-hmm. very you like being around people too. You like being with people. Mm, absolutely. Which was a very agreeable too because it's sort of this level of trust around people, I guess, that comes comes across a bit. Yeah, I always trust people. It's funny. I don't understand people who don't sort of trust others straight away. I always trust them, but I'm cautious. But I certainly the first the first point of call is always to trust somebody, look in their eyes and see if they are telling the truth and go, right, I, I can trust you. Yeah. But be cautious until I can absolutely lock it in. And how good are you at it? I reckon I'll be ninety five percent right most of the time. That's pretty good. Uh, so, because in, in part, some of the things that that also is there as well as this part of being unconventional too. Because I reckon in, in the job that you do, you have to you have to sort of come come at issues left field and right, you know, um, different angles, don't you? Yeah, and you've got to be thinking on your feet at all times and, and be ready for the next curveball. And being able to be a people person, being able to talk your way through things and understand people's issues and being able to solve them for, I think, was an important yeah. part of that. Yeah. We're talking about a turning point. I don't know if that was the turning point that when you when you were 30 or, you know, that was probably when you sort of sort of said, okay, well, this is the type of person I really want to be, which is the person I think I am. Mm-hmm. And now I've decided I'm going to be that person that I always thought I was going to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what about, what's a, what's a low point that's in your life? You think? Been thinking about this, Franco. I think you know I've I've had a good life. I've you know I haven't had big lows, and I've got two wonderful kids, happy and healthy, happy wife, 
house in the suburbs, you know, like it's a pretty decent story. Yeah. But last year, through this COVID experience, being isolated from from people and Zoom's great. I mean, we're doing we're having a Zoom conversation now, but there's so much communication that happens outside of just visually and, and you know through you know audible sense. Being close to people and communicating with them, I, I didn't have that anymore. So that was taken away. Yeah. And I didn't enjoy it. Like well, as, as I mentioned, I, we were working from home, and I hated it. I hated you know not being able to talk to people and and sit with them and, and discuss things. And we had to do everything via the phone or via Zoom. So I, I didn't enjoy that. It wasn't It wasn't a, a pleasant time. And also, a lot of the things that we'd been working on business wise with projects were all sort of starting to slip away. So we had this really bright future going in twenty twenty. Things are going to change. Back end of a few um, important deals, and then all of a sudden they all just started just to fall away. And we thought, you know, here business is going really well, and then all of a sudden, in space of three months, things just sort of collapsed. It wasn't that dramatic, you know. Certainly, you know, the business is still going quite well, but it was certainly a, a point in time where I thought, shit, this is not going anywhere near as well as what I wanted it to. Mm. On the flip side of that, so, you know, much more time with the family, much more time with the kids and enjoying that, going to the park more often with them. But it was certainly a low point last year. Yeah. So what, what, did, you, what did you learn about yourself during that period? I think I learned that, that I need people around me mm. and I, I really enjoy people around me. And I think also my relationship with my wife got stronger. Mm. I like to think that she thought so too, probably because we spent more time together and the relationship with the kids certainly grew stronger as well. They were able to sort of understand what I do during the day and what my day looks like um, and I can understand better what their day looks like during the day as well and able to help them all out more, more with schoolwork and so forth. That was certainly positive. Yeah. Well, interesting you talk a bit about that way because we've really talked a bit about part of this personality that's really quite important, you know, the, the important part of you, this dispositional trait around needing to be around people. Mm. I guess it's, there's, you know, when we think about, you know, the, the workplace and we think a bit about what remote remote work looks like and, you know, there's some people that obviously lend themselves to that more effectively than, you know, adjust to that more and, and attune to that more more so than others. Mm. I guess, uh, you know, that, but there are, you know, by just by the nature of, you know, personality, there's a whole bunch of other people that would just love to be around other people all the time. Yeah. And yep. in the workplace. And uh, I guess, you know, in your, in your sort of, uh, line of work you probably want you probably want more of those people to be able to because you know you want the back of the workplace don't you but are you, is that a struggle at the moment to sort of think a bit about you know the line of work that you're in and how do you adjust to that 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 new change of, of view about workplace and what the workplace looks like now you know it's something that we talk about all the time so what is what does office look like what does the workplace look like and and what is it what, what does it mean for us moving forward i think and I've mentioned it before that the office is more of a place for people to come together and collaborate rather than sit around at the desk just punching out numbers. So I guess if, if you're just sitting there punching out numbers and, and, and that's your role, then, then come in, do your collaboration and leave. But, but, the, but the office is so important for people to come together, sort through issues, communicate well, be able to draw drawings, be able to you know, show their hands when they're talking or whatever it is that they need to do to communicate properly, and then they can go away and do their work. I think it's becoming more of a place where people come together, collaborate, and then go away and do their do their work that they need to do. Mm. Yeah. So there's discussions and debates you're having. Is that, has that been a difficult thing to convey, you think? I think it's uh, early in the piece, Franco. I don't think it's been too difficult to, to convey to people. 
I think people are starting to, I mean, certainly in our organisation, I mean, we're so small anyway, but, but people are starting to understand the importance of collaboration. And we've got a few stories that we've experienced during the piece where people weren't able to collaborate properly during during the lockdown periods and, and they suffered from it. But I think with our team, we, we worked really hard at making sure we always got together on a Friday afternoon and had a beer or whatever it was by Zoom um, just to keep that you know, sense of community and team together. Um, it's such an important part of who we are and what we do. I know you're sort of involved in, in obviously, the GovHub in, at, um, in Morwell, and, and it's, a, it's a great looking building. And, and, um, and in some ways, the challenges around that one way, it's, it, it leans itself to a bit about your own, well, at least my experience of you during that process is your capacity to take on a, some, a really quite a complex and quite an ambitious project in an environment that was, you know, yeah, complicated because yeah. of a whole, a whole range of different stakeholders. And mm. and I guess one of the things that I sort of identified when I was working with you in, in that context is is how you're just ready to just take on, we can fix that issue, you know, and come up with some really innovative solution. And, and, and I often wondered, you know, is how much of that is just the nature of that business that you do that because, mm. or is it just, you know, this is, this is uh, you know, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think I, it's I, a... I, I struck gold. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I think as a team, I think as a team, we, when we, whenever we talk, whenever we sit down, we always, we don't, I know it sounds a bit cliche, we don't see problems, we see solutions, that kind of stuff, but we always look for the solution. We never look for the, you know, if there's something standing in our way, we've always got to find a way around it. And, and we've been doing it long enough for now, these developments and owning office buildings and working with government that that we, we've certainly seen our fair share of, of problems pop up. and. We can navigate them, and just being in the business for such a you know for a long period of time, I think that provides that benefit um, that, that we've got. Um, but we're always some, someone, a group that does work to find solutions. Franco, it's not, not never a problem. We've always been able to navigate around. Yeah, but I, but I do think that that's something about I don't know. I just want to go a bit deeper here, but that's something about you though, isn't there? That. Are you yeah. the first one to put up a solution? I mean, I guess that, or you, you when a talent comes up, it goes right. We can think about this, you know. But there'd be other people around you that would say, oh, "I don't know about that. I don't know what we're going to do about that." Or yeah, I, I guess it's not wanting to. Um, this is where the competitive streak comes in. Not wanting to lose, Franco. Never wanting to yeah. be to come second. Yeah. Okay. And always to say, no, 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 we can fix that. There's, you know, that's not a problem. Let's find a solution to it. Let's fix that and let's get on with it. Let's let's keep moving forward. Yeah. This is part about you, I think, that comes up is this, I don't, I don't want to be constrained by my environment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting being in a, in a property development context, isn't it? Like yeah. I'm not going to be, con- be constrained by my physical limitations, you know? You know, not your physical limit, but the physical limitations of your building. You know, like in, um, all the all the all the, the footprint or uh, the constraints by the challenge associated with you know neighbouring properties or whatever, right? So it was always this part about you know I don't like limitations placed on me, constraints because yeah. we can always work through that. But this other part, this competitive streak, yeah, like there's yeah. another part there. I, I don't like losing. No, I don't like losing at all. That we, was <laughs> we, we, was that always been there, or is it just something since you know this developed later or? Franco, I think growing up, I've got a, an, an older brother and a younger brother, and I think growing up with two brothers, you just have to compete. Like there's there's no option. You're always competing. So whether you're on the tennis court, football field, who can kick the longest football, who can score the most amount of goals, who can do this, you're always competing. And I think that growing up sort of bedded in that competitive streak. 
and and recently finding it too like we go out i go out cycling with my mate and it grinds me if he's done an extra kilometer over what i've done for that particular day it just grinds me and he knows it so he'll play on it and uh so you know but, but that doesn't go away i'm always being competitive i always um um want, want to win and i and another funny story actually i went and saw a, a physiotherapist and who said i think you know adam i think you're quite inflexible you've got a really rigid body but i think you would really value from yoga you'd really get some some good value from yoga so look i'd love to do it but i can't win at yoga i don't understand how you can win i can't beat my mates at yoga so it's just not going to do it he goes, you're missing the complete point of yoga I go, that's the reason why i can't do it it doesn't make sense to me so um i found that my wife's a yoga teacher and i told the same story to her and she just shakes her head every time she can't believe it i guess you could you know if you, if you found well okay well uh could you find a way <laughs> to win at <laughs> yoga? <laughs> that could be your challenge, isn't it? I've spoken about it many times, but I haven't found the solution yet, mate. Yeah, well, you could, you could always be better at it than most people doing it. Yeah, true. You might think about it. But, you know, but in a way, like you know, growing up with your brothers, you know, and being in a competitive mode, you'd think that that would be quite a, a generator of this of this competitiveness as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so too. And. And I'm in a family business environment, so I guess that's carried on. One of my brothers is still in the business with me. My, my, my other brother isn't. But, but I think that carries on from that childhood of, you know, always pushing and shoving to get in front, continues from a day-to-day basis. Did, you, did your parents encourage that or they just, they just, uh, just let it happen? Uh, for, for us working in the business, yeah, they encouraged it. it was yeah. a good oh, no, this competitive streak. Did they, oh, the competitive did they encourage it? Did they encourage it? Yeah, well, yeah, well, by virtue of giving us balls and tennis rackets and and so mm-hmm. forth, I guess so. Yeah, was it yeah competitiveness or driven? Uh, yeah, you know, they certainly didn't didn't hold back on, on that streak. Um, they certainly yelled at us if we're kicking the football inside the house. Like that's not acceptable. Mm, I know, get it. But despite, I mean, in a way, it just takes you forward, doesn't it? Do you think that sometimes can be um, a limitation? Yeah, yeah. Can it be a limitation? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in what way has it for you? I think that always looking to to win may mean out, may mean that you're sort of missing out on the what's actually important and why what you're actually trying to achieve. You know, I, I mean, I recognise it. I recognise that winning you don't win at all costs. I mean, there's different styles of winning. I, I tend to look at winning as if we're all doing a project together, we all have to win. If we if we're in something together, we all have to win. But not generally at the cost of somebody else. Yeah. I was curious by some of the things that. You know, in the surveys you did, you know, you talked about vulnerability, being vulnerable about health or what? Do you remember that? Saying things like that? Like there was a part of you that sort of felt a bit of vulnerability about, I don't know, issues around health or something like that. What, what's what's that about, you reckon? wouldn't know this about me, but, but when I was a younger man, I weighed about 120 kilos. And okay. when my first daughter came along, I thought, hang on, I better get myself in shape. Yeah, that was part of that turning point, um, Franco. So oh, I thought amazing. I better get myself in shape. Mm. And because you're not, this is not how it's not healthy to be 120 kilos, and you can't run and you can't do things that you actually want to do. So, I guess that that was a, you know, a point where I thought, health, you've, you've got to look after yourself, and you don't want to, um, you don't want a position where your health's failing and your kids are outgrowing or outrunning or, or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I do remember that. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because in some ways, the, if you think about it, there's a part of you that's always been there, right? This competitive, uh, this ach- achievements driving, you know, uh, you know, unconventional part, you know, this mm. need for, you know, to to win to win at mm. all costs. And there was a part of you that just, um, 
mean, you describe as being naive, you know, like there's a part of you though that sort of like, I don't know, it's not the right word to use, but you can sort of like you can fight, flight or or freeze, mm. just be stuck, you know. How would mm. you describe getting to that part of you when you're 120 kilos or was that like being stuck or was that being because as obviously you fought against that and you got to the other end of it but was there a period there that you just felt you know i just wasn't doing much or you know yeah i think there's a couple of words i used before was directionless yeah which probably had a a big part in that and 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 having those limiting beliefs of of going oh well this is this is where you're at this is your life and not not sort of making that change i think they were part of that uh turning point Frank, though. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we, I mean, there are times when you can get quite stuck and, you know, yeah. like, but still be that same person in a way, like underneath it. But it's this, this, this sort of coping mechanisms in a way that, that we use at times, doesn't it? At various points, you know, and I often see that quite a bit in clients I see that there's a period of time when they adopt a, a, a mechanism to cope, which is basically saying, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing now. So, you know, I emotionally eat or, you know, or just, you know, within moderation, I don't, you know, I want exercise as much as I, as I should or, you know, and they get stuck in this sort of cycle a bit of coping. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know whether it's emotional eating for me, whether that was the thing, but it was, it was laziness and, and yeah, okay. it was just like me, not so much giving up, but it was not, it was not going out and grabbing life by the balls. It was more just let, allowing yeah. it to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think, you know, as I mentioned, when my daughter first came along, that was a, a turning point. I thought, well, hey, you've got to change now. Yeah. Just just allowing to, just bubbling along and letting things happen and, and being overweight and, and not doing things you actually want to do, letting it be a restriction, had to change. Yeah, that's great. So so what's a high point then? You probably mentioned one, maybe your children, but I'm not sure, but. <laughs> but, but it's I should, an interesting I should, one. Yeah. Last, not last year, 2019, we went to Vietnam and we went up into the northern regions up near Sapa, this little town called Ban Den, or probably, probably butchering the name of it. <laughs> but we, we stayed in this little village, about 20 k's out of the sort of tourist area. And we stayed in this lodge, and the lodge was built inside the community itself. So you had the community members working inside the lodge. And their kids, so when you know mum might be harvesting rice there or, or whatever it is, their kids are just sort of roaming around the grounds of the lodge, which was good, you know, really quite a, a great space for the kids to be. But our kids went up to them, and there's an enormous language barrier there. Our kids couldn't speak a word of Vietnamese, and they couldn't speak a word of English. But they grabbed them by the hands and they went off and they started playing in the fields. The Vietnamese kids would show our kids what, what they were doing and, and what they could play with. And our kids would go back to the room and grab pens and pencils and bring it out to them. They could sort of colour together. And as a parent, when you stand back and you look at that and you go, you know, first of all, you know, our kids are so well grounded. They're just happy to grab another kid by the hands and it doesn't matter anything else. They're just happy to, to play along. And, you know, here we are and saying this lodge up in this sort of remote community. <laughs> In the middle of nowhere, um, these beautiful views, and and the kids there, and you go, you know what? We've done a good job. We we have done a good job. These kids are, are nice, are nice humans, and and that was certainly for me a, a high point. It makes you so happy to look at your offspring and say, wow, you know, they're they're lovely. They're lovely little humans. Yeah, okay, it's a lovely story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It tells you a lot about what that meant to you in a way that you know this the fact that you were able to see your children engage with other people without judgment or without any sense of barriers yeah i mean they're reflecting a bit about you too and you find a way of c- communicating 
found a way of connecting with people. Yeah, yeah, that was lovely. So, now we really enjoyed that, and it was my wife and I were sitting there and you watching it all happen. We just thought, wow, yeah, they're lovely. That's fantastic. It's a beautiful story. Yeah, you know, um, I was listening to just look, looking at your coping mechanism because it's one of the things that I came across in the stuff you did was this you've got a very active coping like this um you know you're very problem focused uh you know you're planner you're able to sort of reinterpret in a position you know re- give a different reframing to an issue which mm-hmm. i think is really interesting the thing that came up as one of the one of your strongest coping was humor yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you get that out of those, those questions. That's really interesting. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Humor was one of your biggest um one of your bigger do you find that that's that helps you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean people can't be upset if they're laughing at you, right? So um that's so true. I think I remember absolutely, that. <laughs> absolutely use humor all the time to to make a situation that may seem a little bit challenging, a little bit difficult to get through. If you make people laugh, you, go, hey, you know, it's not that bad. Surely when it's not, the situation is not that terrible that we can't have a laugh. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely use humour to my, to my benefit when, when we're in sticky situations. I just wonder if that in, just in terms of, you know, because you're always negotiating, isn't it? Like yeah. what's the most difficult person you've, you don't have to name the person, but what's the most difficult situation you've had around, you know, getting an outcome you wanted? I think when on a, I'm unable to communicate properly with people so they understand my point of view, We've, we've, I've had that experience recently uh, where I'm, I'm trying to talk to the person about an issue that I've got and they and they just blank wall you and say, no, I'm just not even interested in, in engaging in the conversation with you. It's a significant issue. And just when you're unable to properly communicate with somebody to express your feelings and express why there's a problem and why they need to engage with you, um, I've really struggled with that. So what did you do? Took them to court. Right. Okay. So in the end you had to... Take them to court, <laughs> it's a, it's a, which is not a great outcome. You know, no. it's not the way. I, it's the last way I like to play. I hate using the umpire. Yeah, but there was no other option. I, I could not understand why. Hey, why can't I communicate this person? Why can't we sit down and have a civil conversation about a problem? But it doesn't matter. I, I mean, I was a little bit emotional about it, but I wasn't overly emotional about it. It's just a mistake that somebody's made. Let's just work through it together. And I wasn't able to convince that person of working through it together. So we have to go through. The other court process. Yeah, does that bug you? That the fact that you couldn't get an outcome like yeah, that? Like yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think yeah, they grind. That grinds me a lot. Yeah, I could imagine that would be for you, like because you you know this belief in your ability to to get get across to someone, connect with someone enough to to make sure that that, that would happen. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. And, and this, like you, particular, yeah. this particular person had just blank walled me and, and said, "No, you know, I'm not engaging that in that conversation." Yeah. When do you sort of say to yourself, actually, it's about them, not about you? I, you know, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I just couldn't understand why this person wouldn't engage with me. Mm. And I must have. I think by the end, once we're in court going, you know, this person won't listen and, and having the adjudicator sit down and say, look, this person's not even interested in listening. So, you know, you've done the right thing. You've ended up in the right place. I drove it to ground, Franco. I just couldn't, I couldn't release myself from it. I said, no, we have to get through it. We have to find a way. And I couldn't find a way. Well, I'd like you to have you in my corner trying to find a solution to an issue. <laughs> That's for <laughs> <I> sure. <laughs> Do you reckon people recognise this about you? Like, I mean, we all like recognition, don't we? But do you, like, you know, some more than others, but do you feel people recognise this 
this part of you, this superpower that you have? I don't know. I don't know whether it's a superpower. <laughs> do people recognise it? I think certain people do, yeah, for sure. Others not so much, which is okay. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. A lot of the stuff we are talking about, Frank, I'm sort of relating back to the work environment, professional environment, which is a, a space where I haven't sort of shown my kids too much of. Mm. It gets a bit ugly every now and then, which I would, you know, they don't need to be super part of that. Um, so I like to keep them a bit separated from it. But yeah, I, I think people understanding that you're a problem solver and can get things done, I like to be recognised as someone who do that. And people do come to you when, when they want something solved and I enjoy that. Yeah. I do remember that time when you sort of like, you, we were in, I think we were in the one MacArthur buildings in the city and I think I met you and your dad. Yeah. And you were just talking about, and I was just saying a whole bunch of stuff that was probably irrelevant, but you were sticking with me. <laughs> and you were making me feel very comfortable and at ease and you were, yep. and you were listening to me. Yeah. And I felt really an affinity with you. Okay. Yeah. I felt like, you know, you connected with me, you understood. I could always pick up the phone and ring you. And, yeah. And I always felt that, that there was always going to be, like you, you could always get, I think the catch cry was I'll get back to you in about half an hour. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, 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 I got to talk. I got to sort it out. I'll figure I, it out. I, I'll let me figure it out. I'll go back to you. But you know, the way. But I always felt like you know there wasn't like a put on. It was always you know. Any I cannot remember you ever saying a bad word about anyone. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. I was lucky. I, I, I think <laughs> maybe, so, I maybe think, you say that to me, but I, 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 you know, but I, I that's my experience of you. I was just saying, you know. Well, no, that's that's great. And I think when I look at so many things as. As we're a team, we're all working together. You know, it's not it's not me versus other people. It's not Castle versus other people. It's, it's all of us trying to trying to get similar outcomes, right? So, if I've got a skill that I can bring to the table, then that's my that's my contribution. And I look to other people to provide their skills to me absolutely every day of the week. So, so if I can put my contribution on the table, I hope that others can do the same. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go for your personality. Bring it all together. All right. Go so, so we talked a bit about. A lot about this extroversion, which is quite a your your think about five factors of personality. Extroversion is one of them. You know, if you think about extroversion, introversion, you're at the higher end of extroversion. Excitement seeking, uh, you know, activity levels are very high. You're assertive. This is probably the the bit that you know you're socially oriented to people. This, this is the guy. This is the part of you that finds it difficult to be in lockdown. Mm-hmm. You're not in the office. Yeah. yeah. Agreeableness is probably the next one, which is more about your capacity to be in conflict with people, right, or in, you know, people-pleasing at the mm-hmm. other end. And you're pretty much in the middle. So there's a part of you that that trusts a lot of people, that trusts, sees trust in others. Mm-hmm. There's another part around cooperation that, you know, you're sort of at the lower end, not so much in the middle, right, you cooperate to a point. Yeah, okay. Right? And which is interesting, uh, but you're always willing to uh, achieve an outcome, which is yeah. probably comes across in the conscientiousness, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're more driven by achievement, I want to achieve an outcome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not necessarily about doesn't have to always be about cooperation necessarily. Yeah, okay. So this conscientiousness is interesting. It's another one, which is more about task orientation, being task focused. Interesting, this one, you're low in this one in a way. You know, like discipline and cautiousness, you know, not necessarily at the highest points, because I think you take risks and and maybe there's a part what you are though is very high in achievement focus, which is striving, which is which over, which sort of trumps the other parts. So you'll get your work long hours, your work hours, long hours, yeah. you'll get yeah. to that point, right? Yeah. Or you'll get other people who are going to do that task for you, but you're not necessarily naturally inclined to, 
to do a lot of that discipline stuff yourself necessarily, right? No, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Neuroticism, which is more your emotional reaction to things, right? This is your low. You you don't get emotionally engaged, right? Mm-hmm. You're not emotionally reactive to things, except in, in this concept of immod- in moderation. That you, you, you can't tend to do things that are, a very lack of not so much like this but impulsively or you do things in a in a you know you, you do a lot of it yeah so so rather than doing things in moderation you probably do things more in in moderation so if i've got to I've got to do the, the bike riding i do a lot of it yeah <laughs> you know? that's exactly you know? right. yeah that's right yeah we talked about this openness to experience which is more about your capacity to be curious unconventional at the, the high end mm-hmm. and being more conventional or you know more interested in ideas more interested in, in facts rather than ideas and fantasy, right? So this one, you're, you're high in. The, the high parts are more your capacity to be adventurous, yeah. unconventional, mm-hmm. right? The, the thing that brings it, why that couldn't have been, that could have been really high, the thing that brought it back a little bit was sometimes not being uh, totally open with your aware of your emotions. Yeah. And so there's a level of emotionality that you sort of, you know, um, don't connect with sometimes. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we call like a dispositional trait. That's sort of like who you are at a very basic level. Yeah. Does that does that resonate with you? Yeah, it certainly does. There's you know lots of little stories that pop up in your mind when you, when you sort of start running through those. Franco, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And we covered a lot of some of those t- today, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. There's another part here that what I like to call like emotional need. Right. This is like so. If you think about dispositional traits, you're born with certain temperament. And you develop them pretty early. Mm-hmm. The second layer talks a bit about your emotional need, right, mm-hmm. or goals, right. And some of these are, are this sort of feeling that this need of it about you know I need to do my best, right. This is always this part of me that always feels like, you know, I've got to prove my competence, right. Mm-hmm. I've got to try to do my best in this space. And sometimes there's also this part of impaired limits. You know, you talked a bit about I don't like to be constrained. Mm-hmm. I don't like to be put put uh, put limits on myself, right? Or people putting limits on me, and I I really do want to try to win that situation, right? And this is a part maybe, like you said, growing up maybe with your brothers, you know, there's always this part of you that always felt like I, I needed to always show myself in that way, mm-hmm. which connects to this part where getting recognised for doing that is quite important. Mm-hmm. But there's also this other part where you give a lot of yourself to other people as well, isn't there? There's always that part of you that always feels the need to go an extra yard for others, yeah, well, which is a, which is a bit of a, a coping end, but also a bit of a natural state for you to deal with in terms of the way you feel about not letting people down, but also not letting you down, yourself yeah. down too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think not letting others down is a big part of but what I do, and then not letting myself down. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, you talked a bit about, like, you know, we talked about this emotional analogy that you don't get emotionally reactive, but there's a sense of you do tend to worry about, like you talked about before, this worry about your health and, and needing to be aware of that. That's a sort of a, a little bit of that vulnerability that sits there for you as well at mm. times. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 Not a superhero, Franco. <laughs> no. no well, look, look, you know, who are, who is. But um, but so this narrative then, this cha- this na- so the way that then this three, this two layers move together is is a story that Adam tell Adam, you tell yourself, right? Yeah. There's a story that you've been telling yourself growing up. There's a story at 17. Mm. There's a story in your 20s. There's a story in your 30s, mm. you know, the trigger, particularly around these trigger, these turning points that evolve and interact with these the personality, the personality layer of your mm. dispositional traits, your needs and goals. And 
this narrative about, okay, actually, who do I really want to be? Do I really want to be the 120 kilo guy, you know, with two young, young, a young child, or, you know, am I making the most out of my life? You know, maybe I need to get a bit of direction of where I'm going, mm. you know, and that sort of presents you with, uh, okay, what story do I now want to tell about myself going into the future? And that sort of combines with these other components, which is sort of there. So there's always that part of you that's always dispositional that, you know, that always does, that can be that 20 year old. Mm. But there's this story that's there now about, you know, hang on, I, I don't really want to be that person anymore. Mm. I want to be this type of person. Well, like when, when you say that, Franco, I, it's, it feels like I'm in conflict. Like you think that I'm in conflict with where I am in my life. I don't. I don't feel that's the case. I don't feel like in conflict with myself. Like oh, I still want to be that twenty-year-old having a great time and doing those bits and pieces, but also being responsible adult that I need to be. I, I don't feel in in conflict. I feel that I want to take the best parts of being twenty and implement them into my life as a yeah, yeah. As an adult. Yeah, I, I don't see them as conflict. Actually, I see them as integrated. Yeah. Sorry, that's the way probably I described the two. That probably you got it that way. But no, I think you correctly identified it. The way I, I should have probably said it, mm. it's it is integrated, mm. and so there's a parts of you when you were twenty that were still things that you wanted. They're a part of you, but you've got you adapted it, mm. you know, mm. in more adaptive. You've, you've done it in a more adaptive way to, mm. to suit your where you want to be. Mm. So so in a way, there's there's almost like as you're growing up, there's there's they're less integrated. If that makes sense, mm. and so and so you get into situations where you might end up being where you are in the twenties, a bit directionless and not knowing where to go next or, you know, being a certain person that you, that you now think back on. It's like, actually, you know what? I'm glad I'm not that person anymore. I'm actually now this person, right? But there's parts of you that have always been there that are now integrated with a story that you want to tell about yourself. Mm. Is that more consistent yeah, where you, you're thinking? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's you're a very, uh, more meets the, more than meets the eye. <laughs> really? Like an onion. <laughs> <laughs> What do, what do you feel about talking about yourself in this way? Yeah. I mean, if if I was to, if I was, you know, it's it's challenging in a way, frankly, if I was to talk to my wife about how much I open up, she'd say, you don't open up at all. Yeah. And I do find it a little challenging talking about myself um, in, in that sense. So, yeah, it, it's, certainly, it's not something I do very often. It's not something that I sort of sit down and explore with, with friends and family. Yeah. Um, it's more something I'll do by myself. Well, maybe there's a part of you that, you know, think about your story going forward. Maybe that's, you know, that's what I'd like to discover more about myself. Mm. But that's right. But that is part that's really deep within you, isn't it? Mm. Part of you that that doesn't engage in that that that, that disclosure part, you know, mm. about what I'm really thinking, what I'm really feeling. That's a, it's been great. I don't know. What have, what have you got out of today? Uh, I think, you know, the opportunity to sit down and actually have a think about some of these questions that you're that you're asking and for someone to reflect you know hold the mirror up and say this is what i can see is, is really interesting and i was i was a little nervous in thinking shit i wonder what what franco is going to see like when he lifts that mirror up what what is he going to see and I, look i think it's accurate right i feel it's pretty accurate in in the way i present myself you know like i've i've enjoyed the experience oh, that's great well look uh that's great. I'm sure a lot of people like, like listening to it too. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I haven't turned off already. <laughs> I'm sure they haven't. Good talking to you, Adam. Thank you, Franco. Thanks very much. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please let me know what you think of this podcast episode or the podcast series in general. 
I respond to all reviews and really love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future guests to interview. You can also rate this episode on your favorite podcast platform. I would really appreciate this so that other people can hear about how you experience the show. You can also sign up to a regular newsletter, which you can find on the podcast webpage. Look forward to presenting new and interesting guests soon. Bye for now.